Jen Conkey. Hey, everybody. <laughs> All right, and today we have an amazing guest with a really empowering story. I'm super excited to share it with everyone um, and hear her words of wisdom and some things that she's doing to drive amazing positive change across the HR industry. So Rebecca Weaver, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Awesome. And so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, Rebecca, so we can just kind of get going here and, and start hearing some of the great things that you're doing. Um, so in, introduce us, tell us a little bit more about you, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I come with about 20 years of uh, business experience, most of which has been in the HR field. Um, have long called myself an HR disruptor uh, because I don't, you know, tend to want to be a Associated with traditional thoughts about what HR should be or how we should operate. Um, so longtime HR disruptor um, with working with companies, huge fortune 50 companies, um, and also with startups um, in the later part of my career. And most recently um, became founder of uh, HR Uprise, which actually started as a social movement. Yes, and I'm sure we'll probably get into that, but it was started as a movement on social media, um, and then now, well, I guess this is the official preview, um, but we'll be launching as a consultancy uh, for companies to help companies figure out how to operate in a more honest and real um, and modern way um, of looking at their cultures. Awesome. So let's jump right in there because that's really when like this pivot in your life happened with the Me Too movement. So let's just jump right in there and sort of hear the story behind that inspiration and how HR Uprise came to be. Yeah, absolutely. So HR Uprise really got started in the wake of the Me Too movement. Um, it, Me Too went viral and as I'm sure both of you experienced, you know, I'm looking around and, and having all these conversations with a lot of women that I work with and literally every single woman in the workplace I knew had some kind of story. And I looked back at my own experience and thought, you know, on the whole, I've been pretty fortunate. Um, I certainly as an HR professional sitting through probably hundreds of investigations over the course of my career. I certainly have sat across the table from people who have experienced far worse than I have. Um, and so as I looked back, I thought, sure, of course, I have um, stories just like every other woman I know. Um, and yet on the whole, I, you know, counted myself as pretty fortunate. And it wasn't too much later where I realized, wait a second, I, I left my last job be, without anything else lined up because I spoke up on behalf of women in the organization and I was essentially forced out. And it wasn't even the initial conversation about Me Too that really hit me. It was that realization that it wasn't even at the forefront for me, that I had had this really, really difficult, challenging, honestly, one of the darkest periods of my career. And it didn't even like raise to my consciousness. And it was that moment, really, that um, really propelled me. And so we're looking around and I'm seeing times up being formed within the entertainment industry. And I'm looking at all these different opportunities. And I kept saying like, where is this in business? Like, where do we see business leaders standing up? You know, where do we see the worst offenders um, really starting to fall? And the more we talked about it, the more I felt like one of the most important audiences in this whole conversation is really being left out of it entirely. Um, and that's HR. 
I think HR, I've had a ton of realizations um, through this whole process, but a big part of it has really been about this role that HR has played. Um, honestly, the role that HR has been implicit in a lot of ways. Um, you know, here a lot of people saying HR is not your friend, um, HR is there to protect the company, and while it's super frustrating for me to hear that because I do wholeheartedly believe it doesn't have to be that way. At the same time, when people say like, don't go to HR if you're harassed, the sad reality is that's pretty good advice for a lot of people. And that is ultimately what- That's like a dagger in my heart. Like, I hate that. I, I, yeah, I, just hearing you say that, Rebecca, I literally have chills. Like, it's so true though. It's disgustingly true in so many situations across the country that, you know, HR is viewed either as lazy or, you know, the place that you go, if you go there, your information is going to just be shared like gossip and not taken seriously. Um, or it's going to sit in a pile on the desk and never be addressed. Right. So I, I completely agree with you. I love everything that you're doing. I'm so excited for this episode. And I think the other thing too, that, um, you know, I remember from our earlier conversation is that, through this platform, you are able to tell the story, tell your story, which is telling the story that so many women aren't able to tell. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know how much you want to share or what you want to go into on that, but I just wanted to kind of get that out there too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been a really interesting journey as I have thought back through, and this has been an evolution. Um, I mean, I certainly was not out telling even, you know, to coworkers, um, the full story about why I left the job when I did. Um, and so it's been an evolution. It's been a process of, you know, building trust with people and then really finding, honestly, what's really changed for me is I realized that when I tell my story, it is so empowering for other people because there are so many people who are still, whether it's for legal reasons or emotional reasons, or they're just not ready yet, um, that they don't feel the safety of being able to tell their own story. And I think that's really critical. So yeah, I'm happy to share some of the details around it. Um, but uh, but the, the short version is essentially, I was working for a company, the head of HR for a relatively small company. And um, over time, I finally started to recognize a pattern um, that I will say was, was a pattern of a very distinct uh, double standard for women within the organization. So, and maybe it took me a little longer should have to really recognize it as a pattern, but you know, as a good, any good HR person, I would deal with each situation as it came. Um, and for a long time, I saw them all as isolated. And I finally started to recognize this pattern. So it was things like, um, you know, we had a woman who was hired for um, a security team. And so we all celebrated how great it was that we had hired a woman. It was the first woman who had been hired. And yet they denied her working the preferred shifts because they said she was too small in stature. She was okay to work for this organization, but not for the preferred shifts because that was more important. Or it was things, and again, so that was in the grand scheme of things, relatively minor and stuff that we could address. Um, but then it was a lot more serious things too. We had a number of women who owned and managed some of the properties that we um, that we owned to manage the properties and we couldn't keep any of them in role. And it wasn't even the fact that they kept moving over. I mean, I certainly listened to each of them as they talked about their 
circles. And yet I also listened to how they were talked about when they left. It was, oh, she's asking for things she shouldn't. Um, she's not dedicated enough. Um, her expectations are too high. She just needs to give it more time, like things like that. Um, you know, it was my own experience um, where we said that we had an open office environment. We said that we really didn't care when or where the work got done. We just cared that it got done. And yet when I would leave at the last possible moment in the day to go pick up my child from daycare, I'd come screaming in as the last parent coming into daycare, which always feels super awesome, by the way, right? Um the last possible moment, I would still, I would listen to this like, oh, it must be nice to have banker's hours, you know, on my way out the door, like things like that. Never mind the really overtly sexualized marketing that we had for our marquee properties. I mean, it really was all over the board. And so I finally started to see this pattern develop. And I sat down with our operations, our CEO, uh, our general counsel, and I said, look, I, I hope that we will do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Um, but if not, at the very least, I have to show you that this is a distinct liability for this organization. I'm now seeing a very clear pattern. And as any good HR person, I had all my, all my evidence lined up, right, um, to show them about all of the things that I was talking about. Um, and long story short, not only did it fall on deaf ears, but then I became the internal target. And all of a sudden, you know, the people who had said it was the best thing that had ever happened to the organization, you know, were questioning how I was spending every moment of every day. My team wasn't, all of a sudden, wasn't delivering on any of the things that had, quite frankly, never even been communicated as expectations to my team. It was, you know, all these questions about what I was doing. Um, and it was a lot of, <laughs> I call it like the clutching of pearls and gnashing of teeth conversations and the, you know, how dare you. Um, and so the kicker was, um, about eight days after I told the CEO, I was pregnant with our second child. He told me I was going to be laid off and that was, that was it for me. Um, I quit. And the part that was so interesting is I went in to give my notice. I went into two weeks notice and he, he was honestly, I really perplexed. I mean, genuinely, I think perplexed. Why wouldn't you just stay and collect the severance? And, and I said, you know, honestly, Regardless of what happens with this, people are going to assume rightfully that I was a part of whatever this layoff is that you are now planning. Um, and I can't have that. I can't have my personal professional reputation come into question that way. Um, and so I have to go make this move. Um, and so I left. Um, and it was really challenging. You know, for the longest time, I looked back at that whole situation and I looked at it quite frankly as a failure that I let my family down. I was the primary breadwinner for our family at that time. I, you know, we lived off of savings that we had earmarked for our dream house someday. And we had to use that um, to live off of. Um, again, I was pregnant, not a fantastic time to be looking for a job, quite frankly. Um, and so I looked at it as my own personal failure for the longest time. But now I look back and see like it was a system. It was a system that was set up purposefully and deliberately um, to keep those kinds of voices out. Um, and so now when I speak and I tell my story, um, I now realize that I, I finally do have a way to speak on behalf of the women in that organization and so many others who have experienced something similar. Yeah. So, Rebecca, so I'm over here like I need to yeah. go. <laughs> I am. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm like, especially because I've known you for so long, I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> How can yeah. I contact them? Like, I, yeah. but I can't, you know, it's not like that. But I think that there is, there's like this awakening that happened for you that you, you already mentioned that there was just this, oh yeah, when Me Too came out, you realized, wait a minute, that's what happened for me. And then the fact that you have the courage and the integrity, I don't know very many people that have that personal conviction to say, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family and I, and I have a baby coming, but I can't do this no, I'm gonna be for something that is so admirable. First of all, so that, that alone, like you have some serious courage and, and wow. to speak that and spin it and say, now I'm going to go impact I can tell you there are probably hundreds or if not thousands of women out there right now that are thinking I don't want to be here and they're going through something and and they need to hear that type of story that you know what this is just not going to work it's not going to work for me and yeah I'm going to miss out on this but I need to make a personal decision I think one of my my first questions that I have for you before we move into the next part is like at what point you said you thought it was a failure right and now you realize it's not like what aha moment did you have where you realized, wait a minute, no, that's, it's not a failure. It's something that this is why it happened. What, what clicked for you? It really was that moment I talked about where kind of now I recognize is the genesis of HR Prize. But for me, it really was that, wait a second, no, this, this was not a massive failure for me. Um, this, I, it, it was just put in a whole context. And I think one of the things that this whole conversation that surrounds me too, that I a lot of times now kind of think about as this collective consciousness being raised, I didn't have terms for it, a lot of what I was experiencing, right? I, I didn't have words for it. I didn't know the term gaslighting before then, right? I didn't know all the ways in which like we normalize totally inappropriate behavior. Um, and so I think it's been this kind of, it certainly has been building over time. Um, but it really was that moment of like, no, wait a second. Like this really was, this was a massive moment for me where I did, I, I tried to do the right thing. I, I tried. And yet ultimately I was the one who had to pay the price for it. Um, and at the end of the day, um, again, this is, this has been building. Um, and every time I tell my story, I'm not going to lie. I still get really nervous about it. Every time I sit down and think about it or whether I'm on a stage or what have you, I, I still get nervous about it. Um, and yet what I keep hearing, the part that keeps me going is literally every single time I do it, I hear from at least one person. Most of the time it's many people who come up to say I was there or I am there right now and I don't know what to do, or um, I, I just hear it over and over again, and that's what keeps me going. That's awesome. Well, and I think knowing that um, there's also voices out there who can't come to you and say, hey, thanks for telling this story. There's a lot of unspoken things out there that you can, you know, represent. And, like, thank God you were put in the position you were in because of how much – empowerment and voice and presence it's giving you in this space and honestly credibility um you know and i think about you know you said something you're like you know i i was doing my best right you were doing your best trying to protect the integrity of this company and protect you know how these women were being made to feel and you were trying to be an amazingly present mom and a great wife and like 
there's so many people out there who are trying to do the best from a career standpoint, from being a mom, from a personal standpoint. And, you know, they're made to feel less than they're made to feel like they're failing. Um, and, you know, I really love this movement that you're behind through HR Uprise and your message, which is really about, you know, embracing these women where they are and, and helping to really, like you said, disrupt HR, flip this thing on its head. And even we were talking, maybe you can go into, you had talked about closing the tragic divide, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to speak about that, but that was such a powerful visual when you talked about that, the tragic divide. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't take credit for the term. It comes from an author named Parker Palmer, but, but yeah, it's essentially this idea that, um, I, all entrepreneurs, but you know, any of us who are really mission driven and what we're doing, um, are really, what we're trying to do is, is straddle that tragic divide, which is between where things are today and where we see they could be in the future. And that is ultimately what we're all trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. Is like straddle that, build a bridge, um, and, and really make the change between where things are today. I mean, I look back, um, you know, we launched HR Uprise on Instagram just as this test a little over a year ago, um, just to see like, is there even an audience for this? You know, does anybody else even see things this way? And I will say like, I continue to be really, really amazed and humbled and shocked all at the same time about the amazing response we have gotten and continue to get. Um, so the answer came back a resounding yes. <laughs> there is an audience. There are other people who see it. Um, and yet I look back over the past year and there's a part of me that's really still dismayed at how much work there is still left to do. There is so much work. And I feel like in some ways we really should have made a lot more progress than we really have. Because I still hear from women literally every week reaching out saying, Yep. I complained about pregnancy discrimination. This was somebody I heard from a couple days ago. I complained about pregnancy discrimination. I went back in for what I thought was going to be a follow-up for HR and I was fired. Um, you know, all of these kinds of things, it's still happening every day. And I think one of my biggest concerns, so, um, is that the, is this idea of like, Oh, all the big names, the Harvey Weinsteins or Matt Lowers of the world. Right. And, take your pick for any of the equivalents within the business world that, oh yeah, we've moved past, you know, I, I worry that there's now this thought of like, oh yeah, we have passed the worst of it. We got rid of the really bad actors. And so now we can kind of move on and focus on other things. And I'm still here screaming, no, absolutely not. Uh, mm -hmm. There's still so much left to do. And mm -hmm. there are still so many of those players still out there. Yeah. Okay, so Rebecca, when you went through this, um, this own your own process of okay I'm, I'm making this decision I'm moving on I, I want to try for our audience to help them understand for any of them that are out there facing the same situation you were a new mom decided to to resign and and do right by yourself and and for you now what were some of the things that you did that that I'm going to say it Stacey I'm sorry that oh shit moment of whoa you know what did I just do and how am I going to climb out of this like how did you make things okay again? What was your process so that people realize there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You, you, you're not stuck. You have options. Like walk yeah. us through what happened. Yeah. I think first of all, it's really important to know that there are many, many oh shit moments throughout and that they will continue. There's way more than this one. <laughs> um, 
I think a couple of things. Um, I don't think a lot of people talk about this and this is going to sound like super, super tactical, but honestly, it was the thing that gave me permission was having what I will call the FU money. Um, it was, yes, we had saved all of this money. We had saved it and earmarked it for something else. It was supposed to be for our dream home. But I remember very distinctly, I can still tell you, I was sitting in my car. I can tell you exactly which parking space I was sitting in when I had this conversation with our financial planner who said, Rebecca, this is why you save money. Yeah, you planned something else, but you do this to give yourself options. And this is why it's here. Um, and I cried and cried. And I said, you know, how often are you, are you also a counselor, <laughs> this financial planner of ours? And he said, it happens more often than you would think. Um, but, but I remember distinctly that moment thinking, oh, I do have options. Um, and then again, once I gave my notice, the part that was so sad to me was so many women came forward to me saying, I'm so jealous. I wish that I could do what you did. I'm not in a position financially to do that. And I know that it's not always possible, especially for people who are working paycheck to paycheck. It happens all the time. And a lot of women don't have that opportunity. And so what I would say is then figure out if you cannot build that up, do everything you can to save that so you give yourself options. If that's not a possibility, then you work and use then spend your extra time figuring out where else you're gonna go. Because at the end of the day, what I finally realized was the only thing I could control. I was doing all the right things. I was doing, I was fighting the good fight and yet it was not working. And so I finally had to realize the only thing I can control in this moment is whether I'm gonna continue to be a part of this environment. And that, that was my ultimate control. I couldn't control anything else that was happening, but my ultimate control was whether I chose to remain a part of it. Yeah. And I think a couple of things I want to call out there is, you know, number one, and we talked about this a little bit, but bliss, finding your bliss doesn't always mean like meditating on a mountain for five hours while drinking your green juice and wearing your Birkenstocks, right? Like that's not always bliss. Sometimes bliss is having a plan. Sometimes bliss is you know, dropping those breadcrumbs along the path, your exit strategy, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but the bigger piece of this is that you weren't afraid to ask for help. And I think a lot of people sort of suffer in silence for exactly what you talked about before. It feels like failure. Like if I'm not, you know, seen in a positive light within this organization, like, you know, especially coming from HR where unfortunately we're involved in a lot of conversations around people losing their jobs and why, um, you know, it feels like failure. It feels like this, like you're, you've been a bad girl, right? And it's like an unnerving thing to say, Hey, this is happening to me and I need help. Yep. And so I really, I love that you, you know, reached out to a financial planner and said, Hey, like, what, like, what do we do here? Like, you know, can we kind of survive? Can we kind of figure this out? You asked someone from an objective perspective and you sought out help. And I just want to make sure to emphasize that, you know, for, for anyone who thinks that maybe they're alone in this or that if they talk to someone about what they're going through at work or how they're being treated, that they'll be judged. You know, I think that there's more commonality then we realize it's just, you know, it makes me think of Brene Brown. It's the shame factor, right? Our shame keeps us silent. Um, and this isn't something to be afraid of um, or shameful of. It's just, you know, at, at times there's a time to leave. And sometimes if you're not hearing that message on your own, the universe conspires to sort of kick your ass and say, 
no, like I'm serious. It's really time to go. Like you're meant to be doing bigger things. You're meant to be doing different things. Right. So don't be afraid of asking for help. Don't be afraid of, you know, reaching out and connecting to try and piece together what that strategy might look like for you and your family. Yeah, absolutely. I, it was one of those things where I didn't realize how miserable I was until I wasn't anymore. Um, and I think in some of these, in a lot of these kinds of situations, like we just don't know the depth of it and we finally do pull ourselves out. Um, and even though it was still terrifying. I mean, it was, I have no idea where this is going to go. Um, it was still, I think at that point, the only thing that I could have done to continue to preserve my sanity. And I did finally come to recognize it as the ultimate choice um, and the ultimate um, indication of like my own self-respect was like, I'm not going to continue to be a part of this anymore. And I think at the end of the day, that is the most important thing. Again, you just have to focus on what you truly can control. Um, That does not include other people. All I can control is myself. Yeah, I always say that. I always say you are 100% in control of your your behavior results, mm-hmm. decisions. Like you control that. And then other people control theirs. And if, as long as we view it that way and respect it that way, we still feel like there's options. But as soon as we feel like we're just like a victim of circumstance, mm-hmm. that, can, that can trap us in this self-fulfilling prophecy of downward, you know, spiral yeah. and, and yeah. And yeah. then we find a solution. And I, I think that the mindset of it all and saying, you know, I own what I own. I control what I, what I can. And then I'm just going to focus at this wall in front of me one brick at a time, right? It's, okay. You have a one brick at a time and you use, like you do as best you can with the resources you have available and, and then move on to the next brick. And, and I think that finding the resources that you did and going and asking for help is, it's critical to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't feel so alone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know that you talked about when you were, when you were interviewing for new jobs, like what did that process look like? Cause there was some, you know, that inner monologue in your head, I call it the obnoxious tenant. It uh-huh. talks yeah. to you. It's, you know, it's not saying anything positive. Like how did, what did it, what did that process look like for you, Rebecca? So this is really, that's been one of, I think another one of the ahas I've had um, in this whole journey. And especially through HR Uprise has really been thinking about, how do we even tell that story? You know, as I was leaving as, um, so after our second child was born, I was interviewing with some different companies and I had to be really, really deliberate in how am I even going to tell this story? Um, it's been one of, one of these huge ahas. So I I told myself, first of all, I'm not ever going to lie. You know, if I'm asked directly about, you know, the circumstances, I will tell the full story. Um, however, I'm not going to offer up proactively more of the story than I have to. And one of my big ahas is now finally thinking back on that and thinking like, why did I have, why was I the one who was worried about that? Why was I the one? And and the reality is that when somebody in an interview speaks poorly of their previous employer, we automatically assume that they're the problem that they were the one, um, you know, who caused the problem. And so that is absolutely something that has to change. It definitely has changed now how I interview people, um, you know, ever since. Um, as I listen to, I listen a lot more to what's not being said than what is being said. Um, but also understand 
Um, I also understand the, the fear, the, you know, that I, people don't know that they can trust me with that story. Um, you know, they don't know that they can trust me with the full story about why they left. Um, but when we do have an open doorway into that and we have those conversations, um, you know, it's been, it, it certainly has opened up um, far more opportunities. And honestly, it has given me an opportunity to hire a far more diverse team um, in just opening some of it up. So it has been really, really important, but I still coach a lot of people um, on, around how to tell that story, you know? And so I would say things like, well, you know, my, my family's getting ready to move. We did eventually move um, back to Seattle. I'm getting ready to move. I wanted to focus on, you know, helping my older daughter transition becoming a big sister. She, we were moving. She's going to a new school. You know, I just focused on all those things for a little time. Took some time for me. Like that was the story, which was all true, but it wasn't the whole story. <laughs> so, so I think, I think it is really important. And it really has given me this realization that we really do have to go back and re-examine all of the things that we do, all of the things that we have considered to be the kind of norms or the right way to interview good interviewing practices or you know how we interact with each other within the workplace it really has caused me to completely re-examine so many of those things mm-hmm. yeah I mean this just goes back to my resonate you know resounding passion around authenticity and how each of us as you know business owners c-suite leaders top line leaders, like we own that authenticity story. We own that authenticity footprint. We own creating to that authenticity culture within our companies. We own that, all of us. And that's how we, to your point from the collective conscious, really start to create this pathway where people can be honest and and be truthful and not be judged for it. Like shame shame on us, right? We've all been there. Um, I mean, we've all hosted an interview where we're like, Ooh, this is, you know, a little sticky and kind of create that story in our head of "Mm, maybe this person might be a problem. It might be a problem here. You know, they might raise a flag about something and, and shame on us. But, um, also thank God we can learn from that and go forward and, you know, commit to being more intentional with hearing the spoken and unspoken, um, from not only an interview setting, but just in general, from people that we're coaching, fellow business leaders that we're working with. Like, I love that you said that because the the things that are unspoken are so often the things that need to be brought to light. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important. I think I, I am not advocating for everybody to just start speaking their trauma either. Um, I mean, that is not healthy. That is not a good thing to do. That's not what I'm advocating for. Um, you know, there was a, Um, A quote I saw a long time ago that really stuck with me, and it was from a woman called Nadia Boltz Weber, Um, but she said, speak from your scars, not from your wounds. And and that is really what it's about. Um, I have figured out, I have been able to do the work and been able to now speak. These things that I'm talking about are scars for me. They're no longer open wounds. Had it been, you know, a year ago, the conversation would have been entirely different. I would not have been in a good place to do it. So I think that's really important too. Like we're not talking about all of a sudden everybody just has to open up and tell their deepest, darkest secrets. That's, that's not it. Um, but I think how can we, how can we make space and clear the space? I think HR has the opportunity to play a huge role in that, yes. in leading the way, in modeling what that looks like, 
in making it easier to talk about really hard stuff, you know, let's talk about, um, and so some of the ways that I've been doing that too, you know, is just talking more openly about my history of depression. And again, that's now a scar for me. I can talk about that. Um, but because I'm there, it now feels like an obligation. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel there's an obligation to speak about that because I, I have been able to do the work. Um, but again, if I can open it up and make it easier for anybody else to say, I'm super overwhelmed with all of these projects that I have. I think I might be struggling with depression on top of it. And I just, I don't know how to get this all done, but I don't want to be seen as not capable in my job. Like that is a conversation we should be able to have. Yeah. That reminded me of, um, Gabby Bernstein is launching, um, her spirit junkie masterclass right now. And, and, one of her uh, videos, she said, um, you know, if you have an empowering message, it is your responsibility to share that. Like, I feel we have a responsibility to share that. And I, I love that because, and especially with the quote that you talked about, because once you have healed from that, then you can, now you can go and teach, right? Now you can go and teach. And, um, you know, I think about that with my like identity crisis I went through and becoming a mom, you know, now I have my ebook coming out about that. Like I've healed from that wound. I've figured out how to sort of arise from the ashes and now I can go and share that with other women and empower them. So I love that. And I also, I do want to capture one thing because it was so, it just really caught me when you said this, but you talked about, um, Brene Brown shared that not everyone has earned the right to hear our story. And I don't know if you want to elaborate on that a little more, but I thought that was just so powerful and so right on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it goes hand in hand with what we're just talking about too, right? With speaking from your scars, not your wounds. I mean, not everybody's earned the right to hear your deepest, darkest secrets. Like you, not everybody has earned the right to hold the vulnerability for you. Um, and so, so I think that it is that it's not all of a sudden just start, you know, projecting and, you know, sharing on Twitter, your, your deepest, darkest fears. That's not what it's about. Um, but it is about find, first of all, find that circle, find that group for you, um, that has earned the right where you truly can be vulnerable and you can practice in those ways. You can figure out and test out, you know, is this a safe place for me to share this? I will say like, I'm really conscious. There are a lot of workplaces where this stuff is not possible and is not realistic. I'm super conscious of that. Um, what I want is for us to make more of those places that are. Um, and to change those that are pretty toxic right now, the, the dream state would be to change all of those to more, again, more realistic. I think this is a much more realistic way to operate. Mm -hmm. We all struggle with these things. We all worry. We all have fears. We all have the inadequacy concern you know, all of those things. And so, um, so I think it is really important to get to that. But, but again, we have to be really careful. It's not just about, oh, all of a sudden I have, I've had this big internal breakthrough. So I'm going to go into an environment that is not supportive, you know, that is not from the right. Um, I think it is, it's important to be cautious. Mm -hmm. So Rebecca, as we're wrapping up the end of the episode here, what, what's a key message that our audience can take away from this and any tips or advice if they're feeling like they're in this situation. And then the second piece is how, if they wanted to reach you, are we, how do we have them get in contact with you? Yeah. 
I think the best advice that I have for someone who's currently in a situation that might be similar to what I found myself in, um, first and foremost, what I can say is you are not alone. Um, I can say that with absolute certainty, um, even though it feels incredibly lonely. Um, second, I would say there's actually probably much more in your control than you realize at this moment. Um, and again, realize that at the end of the day, the only thing you can control just might be whether you continue to remain a part of that environment, but there is always another option. There is always another place. There's always another way to bring income into your family. Um, and so there is a lot more in control, um, in your control than you think. Um, and it, uh, what I would say, so where to find me were um, online, hruprise.com. I would say on the social media, um, on the socials, Instagram is probably still the best place to find us. It's where, um, you know, I'm posting um, almost every day. Um, and a lot of it is about like the news of the day and, um, you know, maybe a different take on what's happening out there. So come follow us at HR Uprise um, on Instagram as well. But yeah, awesome. you can also reach out to me um, through our website. Awesome. Rebecca, it was so awesome to have you on the show. Your story is really empowering. And I, I just, I love the amount of integrity that you have. Mm -hmm. Everything that you've done is, it takes a lot of courage. Thank you for sharing all of your messages with our audience. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. And I would just say to, you know, this is a great place for those people who are in positions of power within organizations who are small business owners, just to really check in and say, gosh, like what score would I give myself? You know, what grade would I give my, my company's culture right now? As far as like, this is right. This is a, a piece of the puzzle of authenticity, right? Like what grade would I give myself around authenticity and people being able to voice their opinion, share their stories, come forward. Um, you know, and if, and if you're not getting an A on that with a hundred percent confidence and your team would agree, like now's the time. Now's the time to check in, reach out, get some help, probably from Rebecca consultant, yeah, from Rebecca <laughs> organization, um, to really come in and start to to map out a strategy to fix this and fix it fast. Yeah. So, I awesome. mean, I tell business owners like a company culture is not what you think it is. Um, it is what your employees think it is, and it's what your employees are living on a daily basis. And um, there are a lot of times where those two things do not line up. So you may have the greatest of intentions, um, and yet what your employees are living on a daily basis is really what your culture is all about. Yep, that's awesome. the truth. Well guys, reach out to Rebecca. As you have heard from today, she has an amazing skill set, an amazing background. She's a wealth of knowledge, but also has the empathy to help someone else navigate through this situation and maybe even some other companies turn around their culture. So hruprise.com or at hruprise on Instagram, Rebecca would love to hear from you and help you. Um, so thanks for everyone for tuning in. Rebecca, thanks for your time and you. we will see you guys soon. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye guys. Bye. -bye.